0: The Bible Study Podcast, episode 738. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the book of Hosea with chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a continuation of the thoughts of chapter 9, which, remember, was the punishment of Israel. And so the chapter markers in here are a little odd in terms of where they put this chapter break here, but we'll continue on with chapter 10. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, we have no king, because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises, take false oaths, and make agreements before lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth Aven. Its people will mourn over it, and so will its idolatrous priests. For those who have rejoiced over its splendor because it is taken from them into exile, it will be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of its foreign alliances. Samaria's king will be destroyed, swept away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Since the days of Gibeon, you have sinned, Israel, and there you have remained, Will not war overtake the evildoers in Gibeah? When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, so I will put a yoke on her fair neck. I will drive Ephraim. Judah will plow, and Jacob must break up the ground. So righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness, you have reaped evil, you have eaten the fruit of deception, because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. The roar of battle will rise against your people, so that all your fortresses will be devastated as Shaman devastated Beth-arbel in the day of battle then mothers will be dashed to the ground with their children so it will happen to you Bethel because your wickedness is great when that day dawns the king of Israel will be completely destroyed so if we go back to the beginning here we see that things were good in Israel they had a spreading vine bringing forth fruit as the fruit increased though instead of giving thanks to God they built more altars and these were not altars to God that's really the problem here as the land prospered he adorned his sacred stones so, so so this is the problem it's been the problem the whole book fortunately next chapter we're going to jump into the love of God for Israel so we're going to do a little break a little different approach this one being more stick next one being more carrot and then it talks about the character of the people of Israel how they've become deceitful. And there's a couple different themes here as we talk about this. So it says in chapter 2, for instance, their heart is deceitful, now they must bear their guilt. But it goes on with that deceitful theme later on in verse 4. They make many promises, take false oaths, make agreements, therefore lawsuits spring up. So they have become untrustworthy. And it sort of seems like it's springing out of their unfaithfulness to God that they're being unfaithful to everybody. They, you just can't believe anything that they say. And so they're constantly in lawsuits, they're constantly suing each other because they say things and they don't mean them. Now, I say this from sitting here in the middle of a litigious society that that doesn't speak well to our character if we don't value the truth. Basically, if we, if we say things that are not true, if we make promises that we do not keep, if we take these false oaths and make agreements and things like that, that doesn't speak well to our character as it didn't speak well to theirs. But then continuing on that other thought, the Lord is going to destroy all these altars and sacred stones. And then we get in here, some of the most specific references to their destruction is going to come. It's going to come at the hands of Assyria. And it talks about a couple of things. So we have no king because we did not revere the Lord. Even if we had a king, what could he do for us? That's sort of looking forward to this day where they're going to realize they should have revered the Lord, realize there are going to be penalties for that. And then skipping over the false promises, we talked about the people who live in Samaria fear the calf idol of Beth-Aven. Now, this is an interesting word, and I had to look it up. It is a place name. It is near Bethel. And Bethel means house of God and that is appears multiple times in the Old Testament. That is where Abraham pitched his tent. It's most obviously remembered for the place where Jacob laid his head and saw angels ascending and descending a ladder. Jacob's ladder happened and he said, This is the house of God. This is Bethel. And Bethaven is a couple of different definitions for this that I'm finding is the house of nothingness or the house of idols. And it's nearby to Bethel and it stands out as sort of in contrast to this house of God that now they don't have that anymore. They're referring to calves that are worshiped there and Things aren't going to be good there. Its people will mourn over it, so will its idolatrous priests who have rejoiced over its splendor. So it's going to be destroyed, right? This is part of that same continuation of specifically where is the destruction of those altars going to take place, and this is one of those places. It's then taken from them into exile. So this is very specifically saying, You are going to go away. And it's going to be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. And this is something that happened, is as you were carried into exile, as you were carried off because a stronger country took you away, they would take some of your biggest idols and such, and they would use them as trophies. And if you aren't familiar with this, uh, next time you're in Rome, go to the Arch of Titus. And look at the inner interior. I think it's the southern face there. And you can see where they carried off the articles of the temple in about 72 AD when Titus sacks Jerusalem. They carried off the menorah and other things from the temple. And they carried them off as treasure, as booty, as trophies. And they're saying basically at this point, these calf idols you worship, these idols are going to be taken away by the king of Assyria as you go into exile. So you are going away. And it's going to be into Syria. And they're going to take these idols away. Samaria's king will be destroyed, swept away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places will be destroyed. Uh, it's the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover the altars. As they say to the mountains, cover us and the hills fall on us. So, All of this is predictions of what's going to happen is the people are going to be taken away. And because they're gone, the thorns and thistles are going to grow up and cover these altars. No one's going to take care of them because the people aren't there anymore. So since the days of Gibeah, you have sinned. And Gibeah would be the place where King Saul was from, the first of the kings. And so probably this is referring to since the days of the kings, even since the early days of the kings, you have sinned. Will not war overtake the evildoers in Gibeah. When I please, I will punish. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. And double sin is an interesting thing there. And I'm not quite sure what the double sin is here in the sense that we've been talking about their idolatry, and that's certainly one of the two sins, that they've been worshiping other gods. The only other thing I can think of from the context of this chapter is their deceitfulness. Their deceitfulness is mentioned multiple times in this chapter, so maybe that is the double sin that Hosea is referring to here or God is referring to through Hosea. Not quite sure. But then basically Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh. So I'll put a yoke on her fair neck. I'll drive Ephraim. That basically Ephraim, which represents when mentioned here, the nation of Israel, as we've said before, going to put a yoke on her fair neck, going to basically enslave her. And the yoke being you would take that oxen and you put it on the threshing floor and you would put that oak on there. And so basically that Ephraim is going into slavery, I think is the way to interpret this. I'll drive Ephraim, Judah must plow, and Jacob must break up the ground. Sow your righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. I think that stands out as being obvious. It's the, how do you avoid the first 11 verses here? And the answer is, be righteous, come back to God, and seek the Lord. And the next chapters are going to go into that in more detail. Until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. But, and this is always the problem with Hosea is, but people aren't listening, but instead they've planted wickedness, they have reaped evil, they've eaten of the fruit of deception. Again, that deception is coming up again here, because you've depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. I think of the verses from Judges about Gideon, from, remember, who raises up an army to drive out the Midianites, and God says, no, sorry, you have too many men. Uh, we need to winnow them down here, because if you win a victory with 10,000 men, you will think that you did it. If you win it with a couple hundred men, you will understand that I'm doing this. And so they're depending on their own strength. That is very easy for us to do. Um, I live, and many of you also live with me in one of the richest nations on the planet, and it's easy for us to put confidence in our own strength. It's easy for us not to rely on God, and it's no better for us than it was for them. The roar of battle will rise against your people so that all fortresses will be devastated as Shalman devastated Beth Arbel on the day of battle when mothers are dashed to the ground with their children. So it will happen to you, Bethel, because your wickedness is great. When that day comes, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. Again, looking towards that day when all of this is over and when Israel is carried off into captivity. But again, the reason why we have this book is that while God knows that day is coming, he is sending Hosea to try and avoid that day, to try and get them to turn around and to change. And again, this particular chapter is talking more about stick, and next particular chapter is going to go back to God's love for Israel. So come back for that. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast dot com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com, dot com. And thanks so much for listening. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it or did you only make it part way?